Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Dr. Parker is the host and creator of Dr. D's Social Network, a podcast devoted to genuine, open, and honest conversations with people from all around the world. Darian, welcome. Okay, so one thing that you said that I absolutely loved, and the first thing that I starred was, how do you develop friendships? (laughs) Yeah. And you said, the first thing, number one, is don't seek it. Yeah. I didn't know it's weird. Like, uh, I know a lot of people are like, I wish I had more friends and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I think you're trying too hard. (laughs) Like, I think if you just meet people, you know, schedule some calls with people, it's kind of a numbers game. I kind of think you do it over and over again. Eventually you'll find a friend. (laughs) Well, what's even funnier about that is you have 17,000 friends plus on LinkedIn. But I don't know a lot of them. I've been doing it for a long time, but like, I think recently I've really in the last two years tried to like, okay, I'm going to connect with all these people regularly. There's definitely people on there that people go, oh, you know, so-and-so. I was like, I really don't. I don't know. We're just connections, (laughs) you know? So talk about how that's changed, like being more intentional and getting to know people. Like, what has that been like? What has that turned into? I think it just turned into a lot of significant relationships with people and some that are like, become really close friends of mine and some that are just like, you know, we really don't talk that much. I know it's not an all or nothing thing to me. It's like friendships, like it's like a membership. There's tears to it. You know, it's like some is like a basic entry membership. Some's like the plutonium level, you know, it's like just depends. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing, you know. Okay. So that kind of then leads me to the fact that you met your wife online on match.com. What did that look like? How did that evolve? I didn't want to do it actually. I really didn't want to do it because I I can tell you, like my mom was like, Oh, you know, you're such a great guy. You need to get with somebody. I was like, that's for losers, man. I'm telling you, this was like 2003, everyone. Okay. It's like a long time ago. And I said, no, no, I don't want to do it. My mom's like, I'll pay for it for the first month. And and it worked like three weeks later, I met my now wife and it was very quick, very hot and heavy. And uh, it's been long-term, 17 years has been amazing. So how that was, I feel like it was the innocent stage of dating apps. There were really no apps. It was all on your computer. Now it just seems like it's like hookup fest type of thing, you know? So I've had a lot of dating app people on my podcast too. I got another one coming up. Yeah, now I feel like it's like swipe, 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 swipe. Yeah, it's actually bending backwards, I think, because... So much of that stuff with like Tinder and all that stuff and grind is like they're hookup sites for people, you know, like I talk to people. Obviously, I've been married. Obviously, I don't do any of that stuff, but I like to know about all these things. What's dating like? And now the new apps, things like Blink and there's another one, Filter Off. They're really about serious relationship building. And it's some of them. I don't even think you can have pictures and stuff. It's like really just about like getting to hear the person and fall in love with them for their voice and who they are. There's more of that happening. So that's interesting that you brought that up because you did just interview, was it Katie Brinkley? Yeah, Katie, yeah. And she talked about the success 
of Clubhouse in such a short time and how people really want to have conversations via audio and they want Mm. more people to get involved in those conversations. And that app, along with other apps, are allowing for that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I really don't like Clubhouse. Sorry, Clubhouse, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I'm pri- I want to be honest in anything I'm on. If I don't like some, I'm just going to say it regardless, man. You know, I'll be nice about it. But like we talked about it just recently. I've had her, she comes on every two months and does a social media update about what, you know, what's going on in the world, social media. She loves Clubhouse. I don't really like it. But the funny thing about it is it's fizzling out already. It's already because all of a sudden green room is available now, fireside, a couple other ones. So people are just kind of like, it's, it's coming in hot and it's leaving kind of like, eh, I'm not sure what to make of it. I think things are coming and going so quickly now that it's kind of like people are just, they're like a gold rush. They're building these boom towns of apps and people get on and they want to get the gold and then they want to leave and then they want to start a new thing. And then I went to a couple of rooms as I tried it out. I definitely tried it out. And it was like, some of the rooms were like so ghetto, man. It was like crazy people shouting on there just doing weird stuff. And I was like, oh, this is, this is not good. This is not good, man. I found some of that too. It was like, everybody has a six and seven figure business. Yeah. How is that possible, by the way? I'm like, you know, people are lying. There's a lot of people lying about that stuff. That's why I love podcasts because you're in a kind of contained unit and within a podcast, it's you and the other person or just yourself or maybe a group of people. And unless you're opening it up like a radio show or having people come in, you really get to spend the time with people. And not be interrupted by all the noise and other stuff. What have some of your reach outs looked like? Usually I just reach out and I'll say like, oh, I really liked your profile. That was really awesome. It made me curious about a lot of things. I'd love to chat sometime if you're interested. I have no agenda. I'm not a weird person. You got to say stuff like that because people vet you when you reach out. They're like, is this a serial killer? Like, who is this person? You know, like, you got to like really know what you're saying because people are, have their guards up online all the time. We had talked about kind of off air about like, you know, podcast guests and stuff. And we were running through the different, we're like admiring each other's different people we have. Have you ever gotten people that you reach that reach out to you and you're like, this just isn't that interesting into me? Yeah. And that can be tough. You know, I really try to find an angle because I really, I'm like, wow, if they're interested in my show and they reached out to me and they feel like they're a fit, I do try to give them a benefit of the doubt. Uh But if I really ask like five or six questions and there's no spark there, then I'm just like, I'm not sure this is for my audience. Right. What about you? Do you have a hard time saying no? No, definitely don't have a hard time saying no. <laughs> I would say I say no every day because, I mean, you have a podcast that's had a, a lot of episodes. I have a podcast that has a lot of episodes. I think the more you do it, you kind of get a rhythm of what you're interested in. Uh, in the beginning, I was just kind of like, yeah, come one, come all, you know, and invite all my fitness friends and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, eh, no more of that. And now I would say I get pitched probably three to four times a day, every day about guests being on. And most of it, I say no to, and I'm, I'm very nice about it. I'll go, thank you for sending me this. I don't have a real interest in this topic, but have a wonderful day. And I hope you're well, you know, everybody understands it except for this one guy. I had one guy. He was not happy that I turned him down. Very unhappy, but he 
wrote me this super long email and he felt like dejected by me and like he couldn't understand why he wasn't interesting, you know, that I didn't find it. It was like a huge thing. And so I had to like talk him down and be like, it's not that. It's just like, I didn't get the feeling that I wanted to do it. That's just that simple, you know? That was nice of you for taking that extra step and even responding to his feelings. Yeah, I want to respond. I'm not one of these people who's like ghost people. That really bothers me. Like, I don't want to be treated that way. And unfortunately, we're kind of in a culture where people do that to each other all the time. If they want to say no, their no is not responding. I think it's extremely rude. So even if I'm not into it, I will always get back to the person and just say, hey, I'm not into it. It's all about feeling for me. So I can't tell you what I'm going to like. It just has to resonate with me. So do you talk to all of your guests before you have them on now? No, I don't really want to get to know them ahead of time. If it's going to be awkward, I want that to happen while on air. I want the audience to feel that we're trying to to build something, whether good or bad, because that's a real, that's a real conversation. I love that. Can you think of a time where you've been awkward? That's hard. I don't think so. Like when I get on and I do these things, it just feels like a natural for me. So like, you know, so you know, sometimes you get on here and people like they just want to talk and they talk the entire time. If somebody really wants to talk the entire time, like this is like a healing thing for them. I just let them talk. I don't say a word most of the time, you know, and some people, they're really kind of gregarious and they want to they want to have a party with me. And I'm into that, too. Whatever it takes is what I'll do. That's funny because I have had a guest where literally like I asked one question mm-hmm. and they spoke the entire hour. I had to book yeah. a follow up podcast with <laughs> that person just to ask my questions. Yeah, I've had that, too. I don't know. Everybody's different. I love just the intersection of curiosity and awkwardness and chemistry. And, I, and I've had people tell me like they hear and watch episodes and they, they're like, man, you guys are going to be friends. You just can tell. You can tell. And then some of it just feels very businesslike. That's okay. It's all okay. I think you have to know if you're interesting or not. I don't think that everybody knows that about themselves. It's not meant to be a slam. It's just a thing of like, whether you're that person's PR person or, you know, you're their publisher or you just want to be on a show. I, I think it's important to know, like, do you have charisma? You know, as I think a lot of people, when they watch this stuff or they listen, they don't want to hear something that's boring. And so as the host, you have to have good charisma too. A lot of hosts don't have that. And I think they struggle. And that's why a lot of podcasts fail because you have to know whether you're actually can bring that charisma, that feeling, that natural talking ability to it. And the guest needs to know that they can just vibe about anything, but also about their specialty. And I'm not sure that people know that about themselves all the time. Do you think that evolves over time though? I mean, for sure you've gotten more comfortable since the beginning. Yeah, I had a head start though, because I was telling you off air of like, I was, I was just talking to people like this constantly for like a decade. So it was the only difference is that we'd press record. That's it. And then we had some video, but it felt natural for me to be a host. I don't know. It's just a muscle. You know, you do it enough. You just feel like, and you feel like you have natural talent for it. It can be good. You know, I like BSing with my guests as much as possible, laughing, joking. And the only thing I tell them, I'm like, this is a conversation. Like, I know you want to get to your book or whatever you're doing, but like, I'm going to make sure we get to it. But it also has to be interesting also at the same time, you know. When people come on, of course, they want to talk about their book. Are you Mm. like, well, give me some of your book. Definitely. Weirdly, some people, I just don't want to read the book. Honestly, I don't. I it sounds bad, doesn't it? <laughs> or, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I want to know as little as possible. I just want to go off the feeling that I get about the person. And I want to see if that feeling leads to something. 
during the podcast. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I've had some wild episodes, like really wild stuff. (laughs) Tell me your wild ones. I know that you've interviewed death row inmates. I mean, that is amazing. That was kind of relaxing though. I don't know. It wasn't like, it was, they were just like real educationally, you know, they're very educated guys. They're like real, like, I felt like I was talking to a room of college students, professors, like I would say I was slightly nervous because, you know, I didn't know who I was getting, you know, not like I screened him or anything. I read, I read that book, Crimson Letters. That was an amazing book. I try to read most of the books. I tell you a good interview for you, a really good interview. Samantha Hart, she wrote this book, Blind Pony. She's one of the people who like worked for Geffen Records back in the beginning. And she's like doing all this work with Nirvana and Aerosmith and all these big bands. Her life is like one of the craziest lives I've ever seen in in human history. It's like a crazy, crazy life. And she just talks about it like it was nothing. The sex episodes are always pretty interesting. I'm always curious about that sexuality. I'm very curious, but I've had uh, a couple porn stars on. Yeah, I think everybody I've had on has been super like super into it. I had on a lady who was like, does like sex therapy and she's like super serious. Like this is not a joke. Orgasm is not a joke. It's like a very serious topic. We don't play around with it. Sexual coaches talking about sexual creatures and stuff inside you and stuff. I don't know, man. It's interesting stuff (laughs) to me, you know. Has any of that enhanced your own relationship? Yeah, maybe. I think so. Did she listen to your podcast? You know what's funny? Uh, No. Generally, no. And does your husband listen to your podcast? (laughs) I've actually gotten him involved in a couple of the subjects that he was interested in. So I interviewed one guy who did mushrooms for a year and my husband was interested in that. And then another guy who did like ayahuasca and the Amazon yeah, and my husband was yeah. interested in that. So I've gotten him to listen to some of the episodes and actually respond yeah. to them instead of my dad. So usually the format of my show is I'll interview someone of interest and then my editor cuts that segment down and then my dad listens to it and me and my dad have a conversation about whoever I've interviewed. And then he yeah. weighs in with like his wit or wisdom or humor. Sure. So sometimes I've had my husband be the daddy. No, I see. I see. That's cool. I really, I really like that. Yeah. I, my wife, I think she has good intentions about it, but there's so many episodes, you know, she's not keeping up with it. So it's just, I was like, just, just pick one that, you know, you find interesting in there. It's funny. You mentioned about the mushrooms and stuff. Like I'm, I've had several of those episodes. I'm certainly a user myself. I got a bunch of weed episodes coming. I got a lady who showed a book called weed mom. I mean, it seems interesting to me. Have you interviewed any comedians? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're not that funny. Wasn't that funny? (laughs) It's funny. I think comedians are very different from their uh, stage persona. And I don't often think they're that funny in real life. I know. You're like, like, can you turn that on real quick? Yeah. How about this is a show? Like, I mean, you know, yeah, I don't think they're that funny. (laughs) It's often a group of people who are very scarred, you know, like they got a lot of demons, comedians. Imagine... We take a hot topic like vaccination or anti-vaccination. That's a pretty hot topic, right? And you were in a class and they said, you're into vaccination, but you have to go up there and argue for anti-vaccination, even though you might not believe it. That's the true test of being good at arguing. If you can persuade somebody at a point that you don't believe in. So I had to do that a lot with different topics. So I may have like, hey, I'm not into this or that, but I could, I could certainly see different aspects of things. I look at both sides of the thing and I make my opinion. I don't just like blindly be in the one thing and never consider the other side, which is why I won't 
have a podcast that really I only talk to this type of person. That's stupid to me. Okay. So now I want to know about your massive mushroom trip. Oh, it was amazing. It was in the desert in Las Vegas. It was an extremely transformative experience. I would say it's very life-changing. And I had a guide. I had a guide. You know, I, I had somebody who was there for me, but it helped me like really get in tune with the planet. So it was like, I cared about the climate after doing mushrooms, like a lot, because I felt like all for the first time that I existed with the earth and the cosmos and all that. But see, I know there's somebody who's going to listen to this and go, oh, that's just crazy. Like, so what? <laughs> like, it was my experience. Okay. It is what it was, you know? And so I try to open people's eyes to like, it's okay to kind of do things that are taboo because, you know, I've been a really successful person in life, business-wise, personally, and I'm doing this stuff. And I think it's the responsibility of well people to talk about things that maybe are outside the realm of what society has told you to do, you know, because nobody's going to listen to some stoner talk about it. Like, oh, great. Yeah. Typical stuff. Yeah. Typical yeah, guy's a loser, probably, <laughs> you know, but, you know, if you're successful, you're doing all this stuff, you're joining, actually, you probably have a responsibility to talk about the things you're doing because there people are pigeonholing people who do mushrooms as people who are on the fringes of society. They can't get a job and stuff. No, that's just, there's so many people who are listening, who are doing stuff like that. They're just scared to talk about it. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you. You shouldn't be scared. What motivated you to do it at the time that you did it? I think just like I had spent a lot of time researching it. It was really cool. I spent a lot of time researching like divinity research studies and students who are in divinity school, Imperial College, John Hopkins University, tremendous amounts of research done. Third wave, the Synthesis Institute does some amazing stuff on there. I actually had a lady on Catherine Coder, Dr. Coder, who's in the transpersonal side. She's a transpersonal psychologist, amazing stuff. And talking about the ceremony of doing like ayahuasca, doing mushrooms and what happens after the ceremony. That's her book called After the Ceremony. How do you integrate doing drugs like this into your life and how life-changing they are? But that's also not for everyone too. It's not like a free-for-all. It's not for everyone. So I think we've spent too much time pushing things down that we think are bad. What we know is bad is the opioid epidemic. We know that's bad, but are mushrooms bad? Is weed bad? I mean, I think we've been told that, but the reality of it is, I think the people who tell you it's bad probably have never gotten really high before. If you've done mushrooms and you've had a spiritual experience, you would never say it was a bad thing. Even the most devout atheists who had mushrooms would never say it was not a spiritual experience. Was your aim to have a spiritual experience, hence getting a guide? No, I just have always been a very spiritual person, but I think it just confirmed my spirituality and the religious nature of Adam. See, that's the other thing. It's like, I, I'm a Christian. I grew up in Christianity my whole life. I, and I'm doing mushrooms. I'm, doing, I'm taking edibles. I'm getting faded every Friday. It's called Faded Fridays. It's an awesome time. <laughs> Make a great cocktail. But see, like, more people like me need to talk about this because they're thinking like, oh, this person's a Christian. They're probably boring. They don't do anything. They say, oh, you're a bad person. You're doing this. I'm telling you, there's more people like me than you know, guaranteed. I don't know. I, I think humans want altered consciousness. If we didn't, we would have edited out of our, our lives over time. But I think you learn a lot by altering your consciousness, either through appropriate drug use, 
exercise, yoga, reading. We crave altered consciousness. Actually, Michael Pollan, he talks a lot about this actually in his new book. And I think humans crave altered consciousness. They want to expand their mind. This is nothing new. I mean, if you like the doors, I mean, that whole group is about that, you know, break on through to the other side and what else is out there? I think believing in something that's bigger than you is critically important to humanity. Do you feel like you were able to find altered consciousness? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I seek it all the time. I seek it for spiritual purposes, but I also seek it just for recreation. Like sometimes it's just fun to take an edible and watch a movie and laugh harder than you've ever laughed in your life. What's wrong with that? I'm at my house. <laughs> so I fall asleep. Who cares? Yeah, that totally sounds amazing. I don't know if I could do it that is. with four kids, though. That might be a little tough. I think I have influenced way too many people to do like stuff like this in my life. And they're like, you're a bad influence. I'm like, no, I'm a good influence. Remember that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Do they thank you? Oh, yeah. Cool. You know what's funny? I get people texting me all the time. They're like, oh, I'm at the dispensary. I'm like, yeah, did you ever think you're going to be there like a year ago? I'm like, I'm sure it's a designer high. You're good, man. You know, you'll be fine. What about for the people, though, that it causes like paranoia or bad mood swings? I mean, do you think there are certain people that shouldn't? Yeah, definitely. There's definitely people that shouldn't do it. I mean, there's some people, they take a very minimal amount of edibles and they're baked for like two weeks. They can't handle it. Their chemistry, you know, and there's people who like can't drink alcohol either. I mean, that would make sense on any thing, you know, and there's some people like who probably shouldn't do mushrooms, like Michael Pollan talks about research. If you have schizophrenia or bipolar, you shouldn't be doing that stuff. I think also some people's ideas are, are colored by their poor efforts into it initially. Like somebody would tell me, oh, I ate a cookie one time, an edible cookie. And I was, I was paranoid. And I said, well, how much, how many milligrams are in the cookie? I don't know. I said, that's a huge problem. That's a huge, you could have eaten a hundred milligram cookie and literally been like crazy high for days. They're like, yeah, that's what it was like. I was like, I don't, you got to know dosage. How could somebody gave you a cookie and you ate it all? Like, did you research anything about, you know, what edibles, edibles are different from smoking marijuana. So complete. So I think a lot of people's usage is not educational. It's just like, I was at a party. I did this, blah, blah, blah. I'm not like that. I'm very like, okay, what is this? What are the effects? All this stuff, you know. What's uh, in the cookie? Yeah, what's in the cookie? How much milligrams is this? I want to know that type of thing, you know. Oh my God, I cannot wait to hear what my dad thinks about this episode. He's going to love it. <laughs> this was amazing. I'm going to go ahead and make you some email intros. I hope yes. that I get to be one of the people that you uh, stay in touch with. This was great. Yes, of course. Of course, Rena. It's a pleasure. We'll be talking soon. For sure. All right. Have a great All right, night. Thanks a lot. Bye. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. He's a very interesting fellow. The truth of the matter is, is that he's giving you even some of the tips of having a successful podcast. Of course, we figured a lot of this out on our own because you now equally have done somewhere between 150 and 200 podcasts. But you have to have a real live show. You have to have really a conversation. You have to have interaction. It can't be boring. It's got to have some charisma. Not only does the host have to show that, as my grandmother would say, you have to have it, but your guests have to have a story and be able to present it where it's charismatic and, and interesting and that there is a definite connection of lessons that we can all get out of it. 
And if it doesn't have that, it's, it's not necessarily a, a worthy repeat of the story, even though it could be similar to someone else's story that becomes a, a lot more interesting because of its presentation. And look how many guests that I've commented on on TV where they're going over and inter- interviewing very important people, and yet it's, it puts you to sleep. It's very boring and not uh, very informative as it could be if you can have a realistic live conversation. Your, your father himself believes that with real concentration and with real searching out of the Almighty, because there is something bigger than us out there, there is a God, no question about it. And the way that I have connected with him is through telepathic ways, through my dreams. And I'm not alone. Those connections and that mind can be developed where you can have your mind communicate without opening your, your mouth. And people can actually hear you through a dimensional channel that we don't fully understand at this time. And some people would call that insanity. And other people would say that, yes, the future could hold where our brains could be further developed to uh, levels of communication that in today's society is unheard of. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.